Well, good morning, Calvary. My name is Matthew. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love the chance to say hi after service. Uh, so growing up, my parents loved to use me as their own little personal butler. And what I mean by that is we'd be sitting down for dinner or we'd be watching a movie and my dad would turn to me and say, hey, go get me a Diet Coke. And as a little kid, I'd protest of like, why do I have to do what you, you, why can't you have legs? Why can't you go do it? And then they'd give me the whole list of reasons of, well, we put food on your table. We, we put up roof over your head. We pay for you to go play sports sports. And, and so, of course, I'd begrudgingly go and do my duty. All the while, they'd be saying to me, hey, when you grow up and have kids of your own, you get to do this with them. And I very clearly remember saying to myself, I will never do this. Never in a million years will I put my kids through this form of torture. And now that I'm older and grown up and have a son of my own, I'm happy to report we are six months into training. Uh, he's not gotten me a Dr. Pepper yet, uh, but we're working on the grabbing things. He's doing really well there. Now we just got to work on the walking part. Uh, but we'll get there eventually. But as great as my parents were at, at getting me to do the menial service things around the house, they were arguably better at doing it themselves, of going out of their way I grew up with a mom who would go out of her way weekly to serve those around her, whether it be at church, in, on the Connections team, or, or in kids' ministry, or just the families at church, or it would be in, within our own family for me personally, or our neighbors, whatever it was, she was consistently going out of her way to serve others. And my dad set this great example of considering others more important than himself. Uh, and that was just what I grew up with. So yes, they made me do the menial things, but they also showed me what service looks like. And that service flowed out of love for others, a, a love that they've experienced themselves, a love that we're going to talk about this morning in John 13. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me uh, to John 13. Before we jump in, though, I want to back up and give us some context of what's happening in John. The Gospel of John, uh, the first kind of 12 chapters are Jesus' public ministry, the account of Jesus going into the world and, and showing who he is, revealing who he is to the people. And then we get to John 13, and John shifts his focus from Jesus' public ministry to his private one. Uh, John 13 starts what's known as the upper room discourse. I like to call it the Last Supper. It's the last moments he has with his, with his disciples. He knows what's coming. He knows that he's about to go to his death. And so he enters into this, uh, the Last Supper, in the shadow of the cross, he knows what's coming, and he spends this time preparing his disciples for the coming hours, the coming days, the months ahead, and even the years ahead, and what that looks like. Uh, so we're going to jump into John 13, uh, starting in verse 1. And, and the first kind of three verses of, of chapter 13 are going to help frame this whole thing of what's uh, happening. So let's, let's read. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Now this is a really important theme throughout Jesus' life. He's constantly saying, my time has not yet come. My hour is not yet here. But now it shifts and Jesus knows the time has come. I'm going back to the Father. Uh, 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Another way to put that is he loved them to the uttermost. He loved them so fully. And we're going to get to see what that love looks like in the coming verses, but also in the coming hours as, as he goes to the cross. Uh, Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Judas is here. Judas is at the Last Supper with the other disciples in uh, this close, com- cl- kind of closed community with Jesus' closest followers. Let's just keep that in the back of our, our minds. Knowing what he's going to, he already has it in his mind that he's going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows Judas's heart. Put that in the back of your mind. We'll circle back to that later. Uh, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus knows uh, his hour has come. He knows that Judas is going to betray him, but he also knows his identity, that he came from God, that he is God himself, that he came from and he's going back to God. And he also knows that all authority has been given to him. All things have been given to, into his hands. And what does he do with that knowledge? Well, the world might think that he would go on to uh, show some awesome form of victory and power over Satan and Judas, that he'd overthrow the Romans and usher in his kingdom. But what he does instead, we read in verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to jump ahead a, a little bit here. Uh, he, Jesus, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, uh, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, knowing who he is, his identity, humbles himself to wash his disciples' feet. Something that is so counterintuitive and countercultural. I don't think we fully grasp that. And we're going to unpack that in a second. But for uh, right now, it's, it's this act that is so surprising that he would humble himself like this. That him, knowing he is God, would empty himself and be, take the form of a servant. Being obedient to the point of, of death. Even that of death on a cross, that he'd humble himself that far. Jesus is about to show his disciples the full extent of his love, both in the act of washing their feet, but also in what that act anticipates, which is the cross. So let's unpack that foot washing a little bit. And I think we can all kind of understand like, okay, foot washing, that's not something you normally do. That's an act of service for other people. But I think in our 21st century uh, American culture, we've kind of lost the weight of that. And so I want to just back up. And even if we're aware of that, I want to, again, unpack that and sit with that so we can feel the full weight of what Jesus is doing. So back in first century kind of Israel of, of what, what, did foot, what was the role of foot washing? Well, back then they were walking around in, in sandals or bare feet. They didn't have closed-toed shoes and they didn't have paved roads or, or sidewalks. And so they're walking at best on uh, cobbled streets, at worst, 
just on dirt roads. And who knows what else is on those dirt roads as, as they're walking. And so their feet are just get caked with dirt and grime and sweat and just all sorts of nastiness. And when you enter into somebody's house, it's common hospitality practice to offer them a foot washing. But the thing with this foot washing, it, the, that role was reserved for the lowest status person in that household, oftentimes a slave or a servant. And there's actually even some Jewish traditions that would say this act is so degrading that not even fellow Jewish people can wash Jewish people's feet, that it, it is an act that's reserved just for Gentile slaves, that it's so degrading that we can't even do that to fellow Jewish people. And this is what Jesus enters into. The, the, the other thing with this act, whoever it is, Jew to Jew or, or with, even within the own family, it was never somebody from an, uh, from an authority position washing somebody below them. And this is what Jesus does. Their teacher, their, their master, their Lord dons the attire of a servant to wash their feet. Now, an interesting thing is, is happening, if we read in another gospel account of the same kind of dinner, what's happening right now, uh, just a different account, we read in Luke 22 that there's an, an ironic debate happening between the disciples at this same meal. They're talking amongst themselves, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest amongst us? And Jesus' response to this is to explain the hierarchy of the world. The world thinks that there's rulers and they have officials and they have servants and that the way of, of service is from the bottom up, that the lower serves the greater. And then he says to them, but I am among you as one who serves. And we see his service in John 15, or John 13, excuse me, that he'd humble himself, make himself lower than them, and wash their feet. I can just imagine the disciples just uh, dumbfoundedness, if that's a word, or just the dumbstruck looks on their faces as their teacher got up to wash their feet. Just the, the sheer look of horror and shame of, Gee, what are you doing, Jesus? The, the silence that must have come over them. How could Jesus do this to me? Well, it's out of his love for them. He loved them to the uttermost that caused him to humble himself to serve them. As we keep reading, we see in, in, in uh, our, what we read earlier in, in 12 through 17 that Jesus kind of goes on to explain what is happening to his disciples and what it means to them, uh, which, spoiler alert, also applies to us. And I love when he does this because it makes my job super easy. He said, do this, so go and do it. Uh, but let's, let's park there and talk about that a little bit so we can come away with a little bit clearer of an understanding. Uh, so verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put his outer garment uh, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have uh, done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. We call him Lord and Savior. Uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
he turns to us and puts it on us. This is the example I have set, now go and do likewise. And it's one thing for us to acknowledge this obligation, but it's another thing for us to act on it. it. This requires action on us. By us not acting on it, or maybe even worse, of us saying, you know, Jesus, I'm good. I don't need to serve others. We are, in effect, putting ourselves above Jesus. And friends, that's a place I don't want to be. If Jesus, my Lord and Savior, if the God of the universe is humbling himself to the lowest point to serve us, I should probably do the same, just like he says. And now, I I don't think that uh, the act of foot washing is the important part here. I I think that is kind of culturally significant. If if Jesus walked through the doors today, I don't know if he'd be taking off our our shoes and socks, although for some of us, that'd be an act of uh, uh, service. But I think it'd look a little different in today's world. It might, I don't know, just throw a few thoughts off the top of my head, be serving in Calvary Kids on a Sunday morning or brewing some coffee uh, or, or serving on our worship team. Those are just a few thoughts, but uh, I think more practically it'd be taking the trash out or taking care of the sick and emptying their bedpans. The act of, of service, I don't think what it is matters, but it's that we would humble ourselves and serve one another and that we would do it out of our love for the others. Jesus uh, goes on to, to, to tell us that uh, well, before that, uh, I think it's important for us to remember that it started with his love for his disciples that made him humble himself. And, and, important, and an important note, we talked about Judas in verse 2. There's nothing in John 13 that lead us to believe that Judas didn't get his feet washed. And I, w- I want to park there for a second and just let us feel that. Judas who knew he was going to betray Jesus, and Jesus, knowing that he's going to betray him, even to the point saying, what you are about to do, do it quickly. Jesus, having this knowledge that Judas was going to betray him and betray him to his death, washed his feet. Judas betrayed Jesus with clean feet. Brings a whole new meaning to this idea of love your enemy. It was out of his great love that led him to humbling himself to serve us, tells us to go and do likewise, even so far as commanding it of us in verse 34. Let's jump, uh, jump down there. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Okay, we've heard this before. We love one another as ourselves. Ah, but this is where Jesus takes it a step further in classic Jesus fashion. No, not that you would just love one another, but that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He takes this a step further. It's no longer an imperfect love that we have for ourselves. No, this is the love that we've received from him that we would take and bring to other people to those around us, that we would love others with that same love. And friends, that takes, uh, that takes us being transformed by this love. It takes us experiencing it for ourselves. If we're not transformed by it, if we haven't experienced it, if we're not filled with it, how can we bring it to others? 
And so it takes us spending time with Jesus. It takes us uh, being in prayer with him, having this deep relationship where we're in open conversation with him. It takes us spending time in his word, meditating on it, memorizing it. It takes us walking with Jesus through life for us to experience this love, to us, for us to experience uh, how great he is. I like to think about it uh, like this with my dogs. And we have two dogs. We love them. They're awesome, except for one tiny little thing. Uh, my wife and I were renting a house that, and we love this house because it has a fenced-in backyard. We hate this. Hate's a strong word. We hate this house because it has uh, kind of a dirt pit in the backyard. There's there's just some mulch that was down, and then our dogs have you know kind of cleared that for, so that they can play. And it's just kind of become dirt. And so when we get a snowstorm like this past week, that dirt pit becomes a mud pit. And our dogs, they have to go outside. They have to go to the mud. It's, it's just a part of them. They have to go to the bathroom. So out they go. And they get their paws and their feet just covered in mud. And they come back inside. And, and we do our best to, to clean them up, to take care of the mud. But, oh, man, that mud just gets everywhere. It is unstoppable. And the unfortunate part about it is the cycle repeats itself. They have to go out to the mud. They have to go. So we let them go and they come back in just caked in mud. And the cycle repeats itself. We're about to enter into a new cycle with them today as the snow has melted. Not looking forward to going home. Uh, But it's just a part of life now with them. I think the same is true of our relationship with Jesus, that we would go to him and and experience his love and just get covered in it, that we would come away caked in his love and everywhere we go and everything we touch, everyone we interact with is just covered with it. And then the cycle repeats where we go back into the presence of Jesus and are filled again with his love and that we bring it with us wherever we're going, where, in our, where we live with our neighbors, where we work or go to school with our coworkers and classmates, or where we play, where, where our kids are, are doing sports, or, or where we're going to the movies, or where, whatever it is, wherever we are going, we bring the love of Jesus with us. And it's like he is pouring out his love onto us. And because we're so small, tiny, finite humans, it cannot help but just overflow out of us and get on everything. This is the model that Jesus is talking about here. That we would go and love others, not as we love ourselves, but as he has loved us and that we are transformed by it. It is out of his great love that caused him to humble himself to serve his disciples and to serve us by going to death on the cross. And as we experience that love, we are transformed and we begin to love others with that same love. And through that love, we begin to point to Jesus. This is what verse 35 says. By this, by by loving others, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All people will know we are his disciples by how we love. This kind of love isn't required for somebody to be a disciple of Jesus, but this love is what connects us to him 
and points to him. If, if, if we're not loving like this and we walk through life, we're not proclaiming Jesus to those around us. We want to be known by this love, a love so radical that the only explanation for it is Jesus. We want to be marked by this. At Calvary, we have six shaping values, six things that we want to be marked by as disciples of Jesus. One of those is loving relationships, that how we love each other in the walls of this church just points to Jesus, that somebody could walk in the doors and look at how we, we interact with each other and ask, who is this Jesus that you serve? I want to know more. I want to know him. How we serve one another, whether it's in Calvary Kids, in, in cafe or connections or on the worship team or in students or in life groups and small groups, or just how we rub shoulders with one another in those areas, how we live life with each other. It should be marked by a love that is not our own, but can only be attributed to Jesus. This is why we, we want to go outside the walls too. John 13 is specifically talking about the love that the disciples would have for one another. But I don't think it's an inappropriate step to, to say this is also the love that we show the world. And which is why we want to go outside of these walls in, in things like the kingdom assignment. That we would go out into the community to show them the love that Jesus has for them. It's why we partner with Wood Glen Elementary. It's why we partner with Step Seminary in Haiti. It's why we uh, want partner with Afghan refugees. It's why we want to live sent. That how we would rub shoulders with the world would point them to Jesus. And there are two qu kind of questions we need to ask ourselves when we start doing this. Uh, I want to share some examples from my life to help maybe paint that picture. The first comes from when I was working at Chipotle in college. Uh, now, my coworkers weren't following Jesus. They didn't go to church. Uh, many of them didn't even, haven't even stepped into church, but they knew that I followed Jesus. They knew that I went to church and that I was going to school to study the Bible and all that fun stuff. And uh, they they knew how I interacted with them as well. And, and I'm not sharing this to toot my own horn because I'm going to disparage myself here in a second. Uh, but they knew how I interacted with them, how I was authentic with them, how I served them. I was the first one to say, oh, I'll take the trash out. I'll do the dishes. I'll do this job that no one wants to do. And it led to one of them actually asking me one day, hey, why are you so different why are you the first one to jump at these tasks? Why, are you, how, why do you love differently than the rest of us? Like, that's the dream. That's the dream that somebody would ask you that, that they would just open the doors and say, tell me about Jesus. And I froze like a deer to headlights. What do I say? I don't know what to do. Uh, Jesus loves you? I, I don't know. And I tripped and I stumbled and I somersaulted my way through that door. And I'm going to trust that the Lord is sovereign in that moment. He's going to use that for his, purpose, <clears throat> for his purposes. But I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what I was going to say in those moments. Are you prepared? Do you know what you're going to say? When you love like this, it's different than the world. It's noticeably different. Are you ready? We talk about at Calvary sometimes having like this uh, elevator testimony 
this elevator story of how Jesus changed your life. If you have 30 seconds with somebody, if you have a minute with somebody, two minutes, what are you going to say? Are you ready? Have you thought about that? Maybe this week, spend some time processing through that. If you, if you want help to do that, please reach out to me. I'd love to, to help resource you and, and to walk through some of those steps with you. It's something that I wish I had ready in my back pocket that when that, those doors flung open, I could just walk through and say, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about who he is to me. I wasn't ready though. The other, story, the other question we need to ask is, are we willing are we willing to, to love like this? I think if I, if I look at my life, I generally can say, yeah, I love rubbing shoulders with people and, and being authentic and, and, and sharing Jesus's love with others. I, and I look across my life and, and I hold up this mirror and then we get to my neighborhood. In church, I know two of my neighbor's names and even them I haven't talked to in a little bit. If I'm honest, like, I can come up with all sorts of excuses of, well, that's what they are, excuses of, of why I might not. And some of them are good. Some of them are legitimate reasons. But I think if it comes down to it, I'm just not willing to. I haven't been. It takes effort to show this kind of love, to humble myself, to, to consider my neighbors more important than myself, to go and love them like this. I have no idea if my neighbors go to church. I have no idea if they have walked with the Lord ever in their lives. And that's my shame. That's something this past week that the Lord has been convicting me in. That, yeah, you might be willing to, to get up here on Sunday morning and talk about how great my love is, but you go home and, and you drive in your driveway, you shut the door, and that's it. There's no interaction. That's been something that the Lord has been working on my heart. What area of your life do you need to let him work on for you? Are you willing? Are you ready and willing to share his love, to, to love, a love with a love that's so radical that the only explanation is Jesus? By this, they will know you are my disciple. We want to be marked by this love. Jesus loves us to the end. He loves us to the uttermost. And out of that love, he humbled himself to serve us. And as he is our Lord and Savior, he is greater than us. Then how much more should we humble ourselves as well and follow his example? And by following his example in our service and love for others, we point to him and he gets the glory. I don't know if you're uh, signed up to receive our weekly update, uh, or if you are, how often you read that weekly update. Uh, there won't be a test. It's okay. Uh, but this past week, Pastor Tom, our senior pastor, sent out his monthly letter to the congregation. And I want to read a portion of that for you this morning. Uh, our troubled world desperately needs a fuller vision of Jesus his grace through the kindness of his people and his truth proclaimed through his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church is God's instrument to convey this beautiful vision of Jesus. We must not fail to do so. We must not fail to do so. Why? Why is this such a big deal? 
Because it is only in Jesus that we will experience this radical love. It is only in Jesus where we find life and life to the fullest. How we love matters because it proclaims Jesus. Part of remembering or part of uh, experiencing his love is spending time regularly to remember it, which is why we celebrate communion once a month. Uh, It's why we are going to partake in it today. We want to have this regular rhythm in our lives where we are taking time to look back and remember what Jesus did. So we'll take that in a moment. If you haven't gotten one of these cups yet, they're in the back. Uh, They're two-sided, both bread and cup in them. We're going to do the cup, uh, the bread first. So make sure that you open that one. Otherwise, you'll be doing one of these things. Uh, but we, we take time to remember the love of Jesus because it, it's important for us to, to experience that. And he gave, on, on this same night, the Last Supper, when he's with his disciples in the upper room, he gave them a way to do that. He gave them a way to, to spend some time uh, to regularly remember. We're going to do that in a moment, but I want to give you first a chance to, to just go into his presence and sit in his love. Maybe there's something that you need to bring to him first. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to repent and ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's uh, something that's been troubling you that you've been carrying with you for a while that you just need to lay at his feet and feel the love of his support. Or maybe you simply just need to enter into his presence and, and let him pour out his love on you. Well, we're going to take some moment uh, for that, and then we'll come back together to take communion.